real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and you may know my guest today from the Side Hustle Show and SideHustleNation.com. Welcome to the show, Nick Loper. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I've been wanting to speak with you for a while. So can you tell us, well, first of all, for the listeners who maybe aren't aware of what Side Hustle means, can you maybe give us a little definition Of course. So I would call a side hustle anything that you're doing uh, to earn money outside of traditional employment, outside your day job. And the difference between maybe a side hustle and moonlighting, as in past generations it may have been known, is that it carries a more entrepreneurial connotation than just you know, delivering pizzas on the weekends. It's it has this sense of like, okay, this is something that I'm doing in my spare time because I want to because I'm excited about it and because maybe, maybe one day I could see it growing beyond what it is today. Yeah. And I feel like, especially right now, that people are probably looking for all types of ways to make additional income, either because they've lost their job or hours or whatever have been cut back. So I think now is a good time, especially to talk about this. So how did you and when did you get into side hustling? Oh my gosh, like back in in college, actually probably even before graduating, I started a uh, footwear comparison shopping site after graduation, but the the underpinnings of it were being laid while I was still in school. And actually, the way that it started is if you remember, like from good to great, Jim Collins talks about firing bullets before firing cannonballs, which is a kind of a way to say like I'm going to do a low risk. Uh, kind of calibration test on whatever idea or hypothesis I have. And then, you know, once I've got that dialed in, then go in all in with the cannonballs, right? And so that was exactly how uh, the shoe business came about was these like text link advertisements on uh, Google with my affiliate link. Okay, would somebody buy these shoes through my affiliate link basically was the dollar a day ad budget that I started out with. Started making 200, 300 bucks a month from like the basement of our college house with five other roommates. I was like, Hey, this is legit. This is beer money. This is like actually chipping away at my rent here. This is pretty cool. And it was only after having done that, that I felt comfortable investing in, you know, having a full uh, website built out just because the text links, while they were cool and they, while, while there was like almost no overhead startup cost, you know, stuff would go out of stock prices would change. It was a little bit more challenging to manage. So I thought, well, maybe if I add one extra layer, then theoretically the database could update itself. And so that was the business that I ran for for three years, nights and weekends while working corporate before quitting my job to be a, a full-time online shoe salesman. So what was your main job, your corporate job? I was working for Ford, which the car business is a fascinating 
business, especially for somebody fresh out of school to come in to this 100-year-old corporation and you know be calling on dealers. So I was in kind of a sales organization on the service and part side of their business. So it was kind of a third, a third sales, a third customer service, and then kind of a third kind of like this consultative role of like, how, how do we increase your service and parts business? But some of these dealers that I called on like had been in business for generations. Like they had had a fourth generation dealer, like they had their charter signed by Henry Ford. It was really, really cool to come in as a 22 year old, but at the same time had zero desire to like climb the corporate ladder there. I was like, always, always looking at like, how could I figure out uh, a way out of here? And so what different types of side hustles have you had or what different avenues have you tried? So affiliate marketing for the last 15 years has been the main the main source of income or the largest source of income throughout that time. And whether that's, you know, selling footwear in, in the early days to uh, lead generation on a, a virtual assistant directory that I built, which still exists today, to some of the affiliate stuff that you see on Side Hustle Nation. Like if you want to sign up to drive for Instacart, which is been a popular side hustle this past month or two. There's they're recruiting drivers and they're incentivizing uh, publishers like me to help them recruit drivers. So that's an example of affiliate marketing today. So those are that's been kind of the mainstay throughout the you know overarch of, of all this stuff. Other side hustles have included some self publishing on Amazon experiments, which I like. I, I still remember my like first royalty direct deposit from Amazon. This is like 2012 uh, for like $46 or something like, no, but it was like, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a professional author. Somebody bought my thing. It was really, really cool. Experiments with eBay, experiments with uh, publishing online courses on Udemy, experiments with Amazon FBA and like just flipping products and stuff. All that, And that was the original idea of Side Hustle Nation was like, I'm going to be the uh, guinea pig. I'm going to go test out all these different business ideas, report back on what works, what doesn't work. And that's shifted a little bit over the years to kind of playing a more journalist role and scooping stories of other people doing interesting side hustles. But it's been uh, a, I mean, starting the podcast, if you, I mean, that started as a side project from the shoe business and that's been a, a completely life-changing thing. And you mentioned you to me, and I know that there are a variety of platforms that you could put your courses on. I've heard some mixed things about Udemy, I guess, because of the pricing structure or something. But what is your opinion on that? Or should someone maybe try out Teachable or Thinkific or something like that? Like, Do you have a preference or have you tried those platforms? I have. So the primary difference is that Udemy is a platform and they have millions and millions of students who use their platform as kind of a mini search engine or like yellow pages or directory for courses. And so the benefit to you as a new instructor who maybe doesn't have an audience of your own is to say, I want access to that audience of students. And what we've seen on all types of these kinds of platforms is if you can give that algorithm just a little bit of a nudge in the right direction, all of a sudden it can start to work in your favor and you can, and you begin to earn sales organically. But you touched on one of the big drawbacks to Udemy is uh, the pricing. So they're notorious for discounting courses. A hey, sticker price is $200, but flash sale, it's $12.99 today. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, if, you don't, if you're not prepared for that, a lot of people say, well, that really diminishes the value of what I'm teaching, doesn't it? You know, it's, I had it set at this price. Um, so it's very much a volume game because you as the instructor are obviously only getting a piece of that. On the other hand, Teachable, Thinkific 
are essentially course hosting software services, right? So we're going to do the video hosting. We'll help you set up a really slick uh, sales page. We'll do your payment processing. But as far as attracting students, that's going to be on you. And so you have to have kind of build your own marketing machine a little bit more uh, with the Teachable Thinkific side of things. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. You'd probably make a lot more on Teachable or Thinkific because you set your own pricing and you stick to it. But to get people there is all on your end, whereas you to me, you know, they're doing all of that for you. And it's like a marketplace, basically, where people can find you. But of course, you're so like, say they drop your course down to twelve ninety nine. Well, how much then are you actually making from that? Depends if the sale comes from an affiliate or comes, you know, if it comes through your own marketing efforts, they'll still give you the lion's share of the profit. I'm, it, it may have changed, but it used to be like 97% or something. Basically like, we'll give it all to you minus whatever it costs us to run the credit card, essentially. If it comes from an affiliate, it might be 25% of that purchase price. If it comes from just internal Udemy search, maybe you get half, but it's it's changed over time. But it's not, I mean, still, you're not going to make a living, you know, making even even if you got the full $12. Like it's, it's a very much uh, a volume game. And so you see the folks who do really well on Udemy are the folks who have a library business where they've got a dozen courses, where they've got two dozen courses, where they you know have built up this database of 100,000 students on Udemy that they can promote their next course to, where it it's kind of starts to snowball a little bit. But even with my fledgling Udemy experiment, I want to say I'm probably over 20 grand in overall sales since since 2014. This was over the course of several years, but it still makes sales every month. And I haven't spent a ton of time updating it since then. So it has become a very passive income source. And what's kind of cool on the production side is as you kind of dig into their instructor dashboard, they kind of have this kind of like analytics gauge that says like, oh, this is a topic that people are searching for, but isn't super competitive on our platform yet. So they're like trying to fill in the gaps and they're trying to help instructors find kind of those uh, blue ocean spaces, which I thought was kind of kind of cool of them. Yeah. So maybe for someone starting out that doesn't have an audience at all, Udemy would be a good place to start to kind of build that and to market yourself and then maybe switch over to once you have an audience, maybe switch over. Yeah. That would be a general, a general rule of thumb, because like you said, the pricing power now, all of a sudden, if your material really is worth $200 and now you can make call it 190 on every course sale instead of 12 best case scenario obviously it takes many 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 fewer students to make a make a meaningful income there and so let's see so you've done courses and of course podcasting and and then how do you monetize podcasting so for me the big 3 are sponsorships on the podcast which started probably 3 years deep into doing the show. So definitely not right out of the gate, but that's become a significant income stream. The affiliate stuff uh, that we mentioned on the blog and through the email list a little bit has been uh, a pretty significant revenue stream for the last few years. An example of, and actually a Udemy example of affiliate marketing was like, they, they run a new year's promotion every year, which is like, Hey, you know, it's the biggest sale of the year, you know, start the new year's off off right all our courses are like 10 bucks or 11 bucks or something and so i was like okay let me uh, compile this list of the 100 best udemy courses for side hustlers freelancers and entrepreneurs and i've updated it every year for several years but like that single post has probably made 
35, 40 grand over the course of those years as an affiliate. And it's this blatant, blatant affiliate play where it's just like a, it's like a skyscraper post of affiliate links in a way. That's like how a skeptic would look at it. But instead people in the comments are like, dude, thank you for compiling this. Like, oh my gosh, I just, I picked up five of these. Like, this is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this. And I was like, oh, you know, there's a way to do affiliate marketing in a non-skeezy way. It was, that was an eye-opening one for me. And then the third leg of the stool are just like my own side hustle experiments. So I still have the other affiliate marketing site kind of in the virtual assistant or outsourcing space. I would put the self-publishing stuff under that umbrella. It has kind of scaled back the freelancing consulting e-commerce experiments, but there's always stuff going on. Like for the past couple of years, we've been trying to sell like print on demand uh, t-shirts, which is just a fascinating marketplace or one of the hottest side hustles from a, a couple of years ago, but there's always uh, different business ideas going around. Yeah. You mentioned print on demand. Who do you use for your print on demand? Primarily, I mean, the, the bulk of the sales have been through Merch by Amazon, which I understand is kind of on pause right now as they said, we're going to prioritize some some stuff rather than your novelty t-shirts. Like, fine, I totally get it. The other platform that I've been playing around with is Printful and doing an Etsy shop integration and admittedly have not spent the time and energy to really build this out or figure this out. But this is really kind of cool stuff. It's like now you can syndicate these listings to your Etsy shop. If somebody, you know, you come up with a clever design, never touch the product, uh, upload it to Printful, Printful sends it over to Etsy, somebody finds it on Etsy, and then they do the shipping fulfillment for you and you just kind of make a spread on between what you charged and what it cost. And it's like, this is so cool. I don't know. I just like, it, I have made almost no sales, but it's, just, <laughs> it's like very exciting for me, like the possibilities there. Yeah, I used to use Printful as well. But yeah, I didn't make many sales either. But I, it is my favorite platform as far as when you create your own designs, but I've recently been doing TeePublic, which what I like about that one, which I still haven't made a whole lot of sales on either, but what I like about it is that other people will make the design. I mean, you can make your own design, but what's different is that other people can make designs and they have their own shops, but then you can add their products to your shop and when it sells from your store you get uh, a commission or whatever. Okay. From, yeah. So it's like, you don't really hardly have to do any work. You don't even have to design anything. So I have like a whole T public store. That's all the shirts I haven't made. It. Well, there's one shirt I've made, which is my podcast cover art. But other than that, everything else are shirts that other people have made and they all have to do with like entrepreneurship and hustling and all that kind of stuff. So if anyone were to ever buy it from my shop, then I get a small portion of that. So I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. So you're kind of helping these designers solve their marketing problem. Like, hey, we created these designs, but if, if you want to send us sales, I mean, this is affiliate marketing, right? Like if you want to send uh -huh. us sales, we'll give you a cut. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting way to do it. I don't know of another platform that does it that way. So I like to do that. And then, yeah, if I have my own designs, then I use Printful for that because there's so many integrations. Like you said, you can put those directly into your website or Etsy or wherever. And we have met some folks doing like print on demand journals, like basically coming up with a clever saying or cover or niche and saying, you know, making a lined paperback journal and selling those through Amazon, which is just like, the possibilities that are out there. I love the frugalpreneur mindset. It's like, okay, 
I don't have a ton of money. Like, how can I get this thing off the ground? So many ways to test this stuff out for next to nothing. And if it if it sticks, great. If it doesn't, okay, back to the drawing board. Where do you know where those people are getting those? Because I've tried to look into that and I can't figure it out where they're getting those journals made at. And so Amazon prints them. So ah. it's called KDP Print. And oh, okay. they, I believe that segment of the business is still operating. Actually, go check my stats because I've got uh, a side hustle book, like not a journal that's actually mm-hmm. still available for sale through that through that platform. Yeah, I have that book actually. And speaking of which, can you kind of go over maybe some of the books you have and your experience with self-publishing through Amazon? Yeah. So again, self-publishing kind of a, a volume game in in a lot of ways similar to you to me and it's like if you can give that amazon algorithm a little gentle nudge in terms of bringing some outside sales bringing some reviews then all of a sudden you can start to rank in amazon search and generate these organic passive sales like that's that's kind of the dream for a lot of people in the self-publishing space the folks that i see doing well with it are the folks who are building out a portfolio of titles right like i'm just I'm going to love, uh, I love writing books. So that's just what I'm going to keep doing. Or they're using the book as kind of a top of the funnel, uh, low priced introduction to their brand, to their product, to their high end coaching, consulting, mastermind, whatever it is. If, for example, like Tony Robbins, you can, you can buy his book for 10 bucks or you can go to his, like his $10,000 multi-day walk on fire seminar, right? It's like, it's, it's one piece of his like product funnel, product ladder. And it's a good introduction to to him and his brand, right? So I look at Amazon uh, the same way, especially for the side hustle, which is my latest book, which came out last year, was updated last year. You can get it free on Kindle, I believe, if you're in the United States at sidehustlenation.com slash book. And the idea there was like, if somebody searches my keyword side hustle on Amazon, I want to make sure they find me. I want to make sure they have as little friction as possible. Like that's why I made it free. I guess a note on the perma-free stuff, because this is kind of a self-publishing strategy where uh, Amazon will price match. So they don't let you set the price for free in your author dashboard. You have to set it for free someplace else. I believe I did mine through like Google Play Books or I, I don't know where. And then you send a nice note to author support and say, hey, you know, this book is free over here or have a friend send this note like, hey, would you mind price matching it? And more often than not, they'll say yes. It might take a couple of requests. And then, and now the book is available totally for free, which is super cool. And inside is like an introduction to Side Hustle Nation and what this is all about. And here are the big three business models and here are some people taking action. And so that's been kind of the the latest self-publishing strategy. But it started out as just like, I don't, I don't know if you <laughs> if this would be compelling or not. Like my, my first book was on how to hire virtual assistants. And the reason for writing it was because the site design for this virtual assistant site looked really crappy at the time. And so my theory was Rather than reinvest in a site redesign, I could write the book on the subject. So somebody would land on the site, uh, see that I'd written the book and be like, I will overlook the crappy design and trust this guy because he wrote the book on the topic and and maybe they'll go buy the book. And the eye-opening thing for me was through the magic of affiliate link tracking, right? Affiliate link, the book from my website to Amazon. Almost nobody did that. Almost nobody bought the book through my site. Instead what they were doing was searching on Amazon for this topic, like virtual assistants, how to work with VAs, finding the book, buying the book, and then coming to the site afterwards. And so it was really eye-opening, like the power of these networks, these different 
marketing platforms as kind of mini search engines, right? And it's like, oh, you know, you know, everybody's really concerned about their rank in Google, but you know, maybe you could be concerned about your rank in these other smaller platforms, often uh, and possibly less competitive platforms. I've been wanting to get your other books as well. They're on my list. My, you know, when you add something to cart, but then you say save for later. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll just send it to you. It's fine. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> you have one called buy buttons, which I'm curious what that's about. Is that about e-commerce, I guess? It, it is. And we've kind of been dancing around this buy buttons topic or this buy buttons theory. The theory is, look, if you want to make extra money, go where the cash is already flowing. Set up shop on Amazon, on Udemy on eBay, right? Like these mini search engines, are people going to find you? Are they, they going to find your buy button over there? Or are they going to find somebody else? Like, are you, is it going to be easy for them to do business with you where they're already searching? And so for me, that's been Amazon, that's been uh, Fiverr, which was really fascinating to me. One of the very early episodes of the Side Hustle show was a guy who made enough money freelancing on Fiverr to like buy a house. And I was like, well, time out. Like, what did you possibly sell for $5 that, and this is back when it really was the $5 marketplace. Uh, at least that was my perception. He's like, no, no, Nick, Nick, Nick. It's all about the upsells. It's like, oh, okay. You know, the $5 thing, you got to be able to deliver it in two seconds. Like it's a audio file. It's a PDF. It's something you already made. If somebody wants your time and attention, like they can pay for that in the extras. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Now I'm getting it. Now I see the light. And and similar, I mean, iTunes or Apple Podcasts would be similar, right? It's like, here's a mini search engine. YouTube would be similar. It's like, okay, you know, how can I kind of carve out a little piece for, for myself in these different niche marketplaces? Have you done Fiverr yourself? Yeah. So after talking to this guy, I was like, all right, let me give it a shot. So I put a couple of my books that I'd already created for sale up on Fiverr, which is not really what they're after today. They are more after certainly they've definitely shifted to be like, we are a freelance platform. So this keep in mind was 2013. So put these books up for the up for sale there. One of them outsold the Amazon listing, like for the first couple months, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like there's less, maybe less uh, competition over here. And then I got I did a couple other freelance services over there. The first was a website review or audit service. Like, hey, $5 gig, I will turn on the webcam or turn on the screen recorder and just give my feedback on your website, like how to improve SEO, usability, like just gut reaction type of stuff, five minutes and recording. Like if you want me to do a deeper dive into marketing, SEO, whatever it is, like I'll I'll do that in the gig extras. And then I had a couple other things on the gig extras there. That one was the gig that I woke up one morning to an inbox flooded with orders. And I was like, what happened? And sure enough, I load up the Fiverr homepage and this is like my mug is featured on. I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get to all of these today? Because before that, it was like, you know, maybe one or two a week would trickle in. So I was like, it was a really, really fun week of just banging these out. And it was, it was a blast. And then the other service that I offered on Fiverr was a freelance book editing service. Like, Hey, I've written a handful of nonfiction books myself. I was a decent student in, in English in school. And besides like, this is something that I genuinely like doing in my spare time. Anyways, like I like reading, you know, nonfiction self-help or self-development books. And that was part of the branding on that gig was I will proofread your nonfiction book. And then I think I even narrowed it down. Like I'll proofread your, your business book or something like that. It's like, look, if it's, if it's vampire romance, like that's not my thing. I'm not your guy, but this is uh, this is the wheelhouse this is where I think I can help you out. 
and actually read some really interesting works through that gig. And that was probably worth several thousand dollars worth of work over the over the year or two that I did it. Yeah, because I, I just find it hard to imagine how someone could make a good living off, at least in America, off, you know, five bucks a gig. But I guess, yeah, like you said, there's the, I know there's, I use a lot of people on Fiverr for different things. Yeah. And, but yeah, they usually have different tiers, like five bucks is the cheapest tier. And then, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50, whatever. Yeah. And the way I had it set up was like the $5 oh, proofread your nonfiction book, $5 for every 500 words. And so most books were 25,000 words. So here's a $250 order, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so one the, actually one of the really interesting ones, I interviewed a woman who had kind of niched herself down into being like, I am the copywriting specialist for Kickstarter campaigns. And that was her gig. So if you Googled or if you uh, searched on Fiverr, like crowdfunding expert or crowdfunding copywriter or something like she would pop up. And by virtue of having done these gigs so many times, she'd almost kind of like templatized it in a way where it's like, okay, I need the client to fill in this, this, and this. And then I can turn around and turn that into, you know, 500, a thousand words of compelling copy, like why somebody should back this campaign. And so that improved her hourly rate dramatically because, you know, First, she had like lots and lots of testimonials, like, hey, we hired her, we got funded, like we did this. And now she could do it way faster. And she could turn around and sell the template as a digital product. Like, hey, if you want to do it yourself, like, here, here's what I would ask you to do. And so it's like, oh, that's really, that was a really cool story of, you know, the power of niching down and you get better at your craft as you, as you go along. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out something to put on Fiverr. Uh, I did create a profile for like logo design, but there's so much competition on there for logo design. And if you don't already have like a big portfolio or reviews or whatever, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. So I deleted that because after however long and not getting any orders, I was like, eh. <laughs> but I'll I'll figure something out. I need to put something up there. Just yeah, there's something, and maybe there's something to the you know, whatever the up and coming thing is like, I will, and, and Asana has been around for years, but it's like, I will set up your editor, editorial calendar in Asana, or I will, I will, I don't know, like I'll submit your podcast to PodTrack or all these analytics platforms or something like there's something there. Cause another Fiverr salesman or Fiverr seller that I talked to was the same way. Like I started out as one of the few like Google Analytics gigs, like I will set up Google Analytics on your site. And, you know, that was kind of his toehold into this thing. And now he's leveled up to be a Fiverr pro and he's built this whole agency kind of on the back of that. But it all started with that one $5 sale. Have you ever tried drop shipping? Uh, I have not. Outside of the print on demand stuff, I have not. Mm -hmm. I, I've tried that a little bit. And the thing that I don't like about it is... Most of the products come from China, which takes forever, especially yeah. right now. It's like things are getting held up or something at customs. I don't know what's going on, but it's taking forever for people to get stuff. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to find local suppliers who maybe have already sourced the stuff from China. Maybe they just have it sitting in their warehouse. It was my understanding that's what the most recent guy I had on about dropshipping was doing. He was selling like these giant commercial bounce houses for like oh, yeah. several thousand dollars. And it was you know, kind of these relationships with the different suppliers. I, I 
I want to say stateside where it's like, Hey, if I get an order, I'll send it to you and you directly from your warehouse can ship it out to the customer mm. versus like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I should follow up and see like, Oh, was it really like a, a six to eight week lead time before this stuff got <laughs> landed to the customer? Yeah. I've heard about the, maybe it was from your show, actually the bounce house guy. Yeah. That's a good idea of having like a where someone having a warehouse basically, because you can drop ship directly from various United States or even European dropshippers, but the, the stuff is more expensive than yeah. the stuff from China. So then your profit margin isn't nearly as big. <laughs> I wonder if there's something in this space of like, especially right now, helping local stores go online, like helping local brick and mortars build an online presence. And they're I mean, that could be through their own Shopify store and maybe you take a management fee or maybe you take a performance-based fee if anything sells, or it could be like a wholesale deal through Amazon where it's like, hey, this is a popular brand or product locally, but people across the country don't know about it or they can't get it. So maybe there's a wholesale arrangement there. I think there's lots of stuff in that space. Yeah, that's a good idea. You're full of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> You should do something on Fiverr where you're like, I'll help you come up with a business idea or a way to, you know, help your business. It bugs me, though, when people don't have websites. You were saying how maybe a retailer or a, a restaurant or whatever right now, maybe you could help them with a website or a store. But it, I've seen so many businesses that just have a Facebook page. And yeah, it's like so risky, so risky <laughs> to like build your thing on Facebook. Yeah, I know like Chris Decker has a whole thing on that about, you know, he should own your your website and your space and and all that. So let's see, we've talked about drop shipping, Fiverr, and then like you said, that Instacart and just di different delivery services in general, DoorDash, Postmates, whatever, is an option right now. Well, it's always an option, but <laughs> it's right. really popular right now. Have you tried any of those types of things? I haven't. I'm. There was one I wanted to try several years ago, and it was like, we will rent your car out. We'll give you free airport parking, and the, the catch is we'll rent your car out while you're gone. And I was like, oh, this could be fantastic. You know, we're going on to Europe for a couple of weeks or something. And they were like, uh, sorry, your car is too old and crappy, sir. <laughs> we cannot accept this. <laughs> like, oh, there it goes. There goes my loophole. But no, I haven't done any of the delivery gigs myself yet. Yeah, I've heard, I think I've heard of that one. I don't remember the name of it, but, and, you know, and then there's Airbnb and, you know, just all kind. whether it's delivery stuff or renting out your car, your house, there's just so many options. You talked about affiliate marketing courses. Let's see, what else are you doing right? I know the Side Hustle Show and Side Hustle Nation are your main things, but are you, do you have any side hustles on top of that? The one that feels like a side hustle right now is the YouTube stuff. So YouTube is a new content frontier for me. And that's opened up the doors to kind of showcase some side hustles that are totally viable, but wouldn't necessarily be a great fit to spend, you know, 40 minutes doing a deep dive into uh, on the podcast. So like my friend from FinCon actually was like, hey, have you ever done anything on donating plasma? Like this is how I paid my way through college. I was like, really? Like, <laughs> I got to learn more about this. So it's like, so we did a, a YouTube video on her plasma donations back in the day, 
we had another guy, actually a friend of mine who was doing the, the DoorDash delivery gigs. And kind of the way that he framed it was like, I try and fit it in, you know, the gaps of my day or as a way to, you know, basically get paid to commute. So he was working from a co-working space or he's an attorney and working downtown. And then he would just kind of fire up the app you know, 15 minutes before he wanted to leave. And if you got an order that was going in the same direction, he's like, all right, I'll take that one and, you know, offset the cost of my commute. He's doing most of it on the bike anyway. So it's like, hey, I get some exercise. I go drive around or go ride around for a little bit. So I thought that was a good way to do it. Because if you're doing a lot of these delivery gigs in a gas guzzling car that still has a lot of depreciation left to live, or like you're you're probably not making as much as you think you are. Like I had a, a Lyft driver in San Diego, picked me up in a Ram 1500 and it was like a $6 ride. I was like, dude, you are, I thank you for the ride. Let me, but like, you're going backwards after gas on this thing. Yeah. I did Lyft and Uber for a while, several years ago, but yeah, I, that's kind of, and I didn't even have a gas guzzler. I had like a Hyundai Elantra or something. Okay. And, but even still, yeah, with all those little rides here and there and yeah, it it didn't end up, you didn't come out much ahead, basically. Your dollar per hour was pretty low. And then I did DoorDash, which I actually liked better in a way, but so many of them were apartments and I had such a hard time on some of them. Like they were just poorly laid out. I think one time I spent, it was at least a half hour trying to find, I was in the apartment complex, but the, it was on a college campus, okay. and the way, the way it was laid out, it just it didn't have building numbers. It, it was just a mess. And so I eventually found the person, but I was like, okay, the amount of time that I I'm know, spending. Gosh, so frustrating. So, yeah, I decided not to do that anymore because they were, it when it was a house or even like a business, that was pretty easy. But it was a large percentage were apartments and it just takes so much time. Yeah. <laughs> and what tips or advice would you have for someone who's looking to start a side hustle and maybe what side hustle would be good for them to try out? Sure. So one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, what you choose to take action on today is probably not what you're going to be doing a year from now, five years from now. So it's like, get over the hurdle of trying to come up with this perfect, never before seen business idea. It doesn't exist, right? It's just picking something and taking action on it because you'll find that momentum breeds momentum and action breeds action. So that's kind of the first thing. I try and position everything in my head as an experiment where it's like, okay, I will test this out. Like the five, like selling on fiber, like I will test this out if somebody buys it great. If nobody buys it, like, okay, maybe I'll come up with another gig. Maybe I'll go try something else. Same thing with the podcast, like tap, tap, you know, is this, is this thing on, you know? And then it became, it became a thing and it was through persistence of, of going after it. I found it was something that I really enjoyed doing, but that's kind of the, that's the first thing that I want to impart is like, you know, just pick something. It, it honestly does not matter. And the second thing is as you're pursuing that path, one thing that I do want you to think about is this Warren Buffett quote that if you if you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die, and it kind of it kind of hits you. And and everybody starts out. I want you to visualize your income pie or visualize your income as a pie chart, basically. And we all start out 
trading time for money. Like that's totally normal. And then as you maybe start to build a little bit of savings, a little bit of investment, like I got a couple of dividends coming in. I got a little bit of interest coming in from my savings account. And I got this little sliver of passive income on that income pie. But you realize like, if you ever want to stop working, like you have to replace that other 99% and you need to carve out a little bit of proactive time in your week. And it does not need to be a lot in either building up investments or building up kind of this speculative work up front that doesn't have an immediate hours for dollars payoff, but hopefully down the road could be a little bit more time leveraged and build that passive income piece of the pie. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of my focus on the book that I've written also called Frugalpreneur, where, you know, to have multiple sources of income so that if your main job, you know, goes under or whatever, which a lot of people are experiencing right now. Yeah you have some kind of backup and and even still whether you have a regular job or not just to be able to earn money while you sleep basically <laughs> like he said yeah like warning. yeah and it it doesn't happen overnight and it just and it and it feels almost like a waste of time like it's am i am i ever going to get anything from this and one of my favorite examples from the side hustle show is Matt Boknock, who's uh, an engineer in Chicago, and his side hustle was fixing motorcycles, like straight up service business, hours for dollars, add on Craigslist, don't take your bike to the dealership, bring it to me, I know what I'm doing, uh, and you'll save some money too. What Matt did that was really, really smart from the early days was film himself doing the repairs. And this was like an extra step like that he wasn't getting paid for, creating these videos for YouTube, which he wasn't getting paid for. But over the course of the next five, six years, now he doesn't do the turning wrenches stuff anymore unless he wants to, unless he needs extra content. Like go buy a project bike. Like it's not, I'm not advertising this service-based business anymore. I'm making money from selling full engine rebuild videos. I'm making money from YouTube ads. He's got like 20,000 subscribers on his channel or something now. He's done really, really well with it. And it was like from that little bit of, I made the foresight to say like, if I don't make this, if I don't figure out a way to make this a little more time leveraged, I can make extra money and that's fantastic. But that's kind of, uh, there's a natural cap to that. Right. Yeah. As long as you're doing something that requires your time or it's a service, yeah, there's only so much money you can make in your day, week, lifetime, whatever. So finding a way to make passive money, like, you know, maybe something that requires a lot of time up front, like creating a course or something, but then it earns passive residual income over, you know, the rest of your life. Another guy, and I'm sorry to drag this on if you want to cut it off, but another like kind of like service business turned into a passive business was uh, Wes Schaefer, who runs, I think the sales podcast. He's at the saleswhisperer.com. And what Wes is known for is like installing, you know, kind of analyzing where your sales team is at today. And then, you know, helping you set up the right internal software and systems to like better track how prospects are moving through that system. And a lot of these he's built reseller relationships with a lot of these software uh, companies. And so not only is he earning his sales consulting fee upfront, now he's earning kind of some backend residual income, you know, from these software contracts, as long as that customer re- remains a paying member. It's like, well, that's a really interesting way to, to do it to kind of double dip in a way. It's like, yes, this is a service business. This is an hours for dollars business in a lot of ways, but there's a passive 
component to it that can kind of snowball and grow over time. Also, as you grow a side hustle or something more passive that gives you more time, frees up more time for family, or in your case, you like to travel a lot, which I do too. And you have this quote on your website that I really love, and it's, a passport full of stamps is better than a garage full of stuff. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. So true. So true. (laughs) Where all have you traveled? I mean, I think it was like, what, 25 countries? Yeah. Well, we haven't been anywhere this year yet. Well, yeah. Uh, we've we've been doing good. So we've done quite a bit of Mexico, South America, a little bit in Japan, Southeast Asia, and all through Europe. And it's just been it's been an adventure. I think you know my my son, I guess, has a reputation at school as being the kid who who goes on airplanes, and it's because he's always like is talking up, like going to visit grandma and grandpa in in Washington State, which we do a couple times a year. So he, he talks up these these trips a little bit and. It's it's rewarding, but it's also, I don't know, like I also find like I'm so much better at my routines and stuff like when there's some consistency when we're at home. And that's one thing kind of this quarantine has showed us. Like I feel like, yeah, it's a little bit stressful and there's a lot of anxiety and stuff surrounding everything. But day to day, we've got a decent system going on right now. It's like, okay, you know, maybe maybe this is a preview of uh, of an early retirement or something, or at least a part-time retirement as the working hours have been have been limited. And I know another side hustler who likes to travel a lot is Chris Gillibo. And I'm just curious if you're good friends with him. I know he was recently on your show because of his new book that came out. Yeah, I have, I have nothing on him when it comes to travel. This is a guy who has <laughs> yeah. been famously to every country in the world. He's always on the road. He's always promoting his next book. So no, I don't have on Chris travel-wise. We have, I, I don't know if I would say friends, but we know each other. We respect each other. It's been cool to kind of connect through you know, his side hustle school project and side hustle nation. Um, he's always been really gracious in, in our interactions. And when he first started in the side hustle space, I, my gut reaction was like, dude, get off. This is my territory. Like, what are you doing, man? He's brought a lot of people into the fold. So it's, it's, been helpful for me to see that like, no, it's not necessarily competition. You know, a rising tide can lift a lot of boats. And he brought in a big, big existing audience into the podcasting space, which definitely benefited the Side Hustle Show too. Have y'all thought of like collaborating on a, a joint podcast or book or anything like that? Not yet. That's a Maybe we'll we'll float that idea around. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today. Is there anything else that you wanted to go over? That's that's it. No, I think you're you're out there beating the drum. Frugalpreneur is an essential way to start. Like bootstrap, start small, start low risk, because you only need one thing to hit. As long as you limit your downside, there's kind of this this law of leverage at play. Yeah, and I'll have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Nick Loper. That's Loper, L-O-P-E-R. And then people can also find you at sidehustlenation.com and then your podcast Side Hustle Show. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack 
connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.